Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the palace where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, Adam, very much for reading. Very happy new year to you all. It's wonderful to see you uh, here back in chapel. And um, welcome, let me add my welcome to, uh, to, to Claire's. Let's pray as we come to this wonderful passage. Our Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would, uh, by, by your Spirit, may we go in our minds and our hearts now to Bethlehem. Um, may we be like the, the Magi who, who first uh, saw the Lord Jesus Christ and worshipped him. May we to see him as our king and worship him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Christmas may seem uh, a dim and distant uh, memory to you now, but we're actually still in the season of Epiphany, where the church reflects on the visit of the wise men from the east to worship the child who was born in Bethlehem. So the good news is we are actually still allowed to think about Christmas in January. And this very familiar passage before us today is actually all about how how we respond to Christmas. How we respond to the one who was God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, The one who who came to save us from our sins, Jesus. Uh, The one who is our king, as we'll see in this passage. And There are two groups in this passage that we're going to look at now, and each of these two groups have a very different response to to Jesus. And I just want us to reflect on on them for a few minutes now. On the one hand, there are a group of insiders, who we would naturally call insiders. Herod and the religious establishment of Jerusalem, who should recognise the Messianic king who's been born in Bethlehem but actually turn out to reject him in the end. And then on the other hand, there are a group of outsiders 
this group of wise, wise men, pagan outsiders to Israel, who know precious little about this king born in Bethlehem, but they travel for miles to come in person to worship him in Bethlehem. Insiders and outsiders. So let's just think about insiders uh, for, for a moment. And they're basically the focus of verses 1 to 8 in the reading. So do have a look back um, to the reading on your sheets. And verses 1 and 2 set the scene for us. This group of wise men arrive in Jerusalem. And notice that there is no number given for them. There could have been three of them, but there could equally have been 33 of them. And also um, notice that there's no mention of them actually being kings, I'm afraid, either. Uh, That's another detail that gets added by later church tradition down the centuries. Actually, the, the best understanding of them is that they are some kind of combination of philosophers, astrologers, interpreters of of dreams. We'll come back to think about them a bit more in a minute, but we're going to call them Magi for short. And they've seen something extraordinary in the sky where they lived, to the east, and they've come journeying to Jerusalem to find out more. But why Jerusalem? Because the text doesn't say that a star led them to Jerusalem. Well, they go there most likely because they're aware of predictions from the Jewish scriptures of a future messianic king to be born in Judea. And there were diaspora communities of Jewish people in places such as Babylon, where they may have come, uh, the Magi may have come from, who would have disseminated these ideas into the surrounding Eastern cultures. In fact, we get a, a, an interesting bit of evidence from, from this um, from the Roman literature uh, of the time, just, just how widespread this idea of a, a king to be born in Judea was. The Emperor Vespasian was heavily involved in putting down the first uh, great Jewish revolt in AD 66 to 70 in Jerusalem. And when he runs his political campaign to, to be emperor in AD 69, he claims that he is in fact the great ruler prophesied to come out of Judea as a result of his campaign in Jerusalem. It's amazing what people will uh, add to their political campaigns from time immemorial. So it it would be fair for the Magi to assume that this child uh, must have been born to whoever was king in Judea at the time, and the capital city of Judea was Jerusalem. That's why they went there. Except that there was no son born to Herod at the time, King Herod, who was king in Jerusalem. And far from being pleased to see these magi arriving, he is greatly troubled. Now why? Why is Herod greatly troubled? Do you you notice in the first three verses that this word king is repeated three times? Twice, Matthew describes Herod as Herod the king, and, and the magi ask, where is he who has been born king? of the Jews. Now I think Matthew is showing us here that there's a tale of two kings going on here. Herod the king and another king, this king who's been born king of the Jews. Now I don't know what you know of Herod, this king Herod, but he was a pretty unsavoury character to say the least. By this stage he'd been ruling for about 30 years and he was utterly desperate to hold on to power and he was paranoid about threats to his 
king, kingship. He'd already killed, by this stage, three of his sons, one wife, an uncle, and a whole lot of cousins in order to protect himself on the throne. He was not a Jew by birth. He was an Idumean, and the Idumeans were descended from the Edomites, who'd given the people of Israel a whole lot of trouble in the history of the Old Testament. So he was kind of insecure about his kingship. So the, so the rumour of this other king of the Jews would have been worrying enough for him. The possibility of another king being actually born king of the Jews would be even more worrying for him. So no wonder then, verse 3, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him because Herod had such a terrible track record of slaughtering his opponent, opponents already that the rest of Jerusalem had really good reason to be worried at this stage. What was going to happen next? if Herod was worried about a rival. Also notice that he asks them what time the star appeared. It's a strange detail to, to ask about. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Well, actually, later in chapter 2, uh, beyond our passage, we find out why in verse 16. Because verse 16 says, When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. So do you see what was going on with Herod? He was working out what time was, or what date was this child born, to work out what age and below did he need to uh, kill uh, of, of all the boys in Bethlehem, to ensure there was no rival. Now, here this Tuesday, Herod seems such an extreme example of rejection of Jesus Christ as king that it seems almost ridiculous to make some kind of comparison between him and us. But I, th I think it's worth asking, what, what is it that lies at the root of Herod's behavior? And it's simply that he can't abide having a rival king to him. And the Bible describes sin in a whole uh, host of different ways, but a very good summary of it would be that we all essentially want to be kings ourselves, running our lives ourselves with no interference of God. We want to be mini-kings running around with crowns on our own heads. So I think if, if we're followers of Christ here, here today, we, we must ask ourselves the question at the beginning of 2022, is Christ king over all my life? Over my work here? Over my political beliefs, my political practices? Over my personal life? Over my time? Over my money? Over my relationships? These are questions that we should ask ourselves. But there's also another group of insiders here, did you notice? Um, People, again, people who we would naturally expect to welcome news of this messianic king. And it's the chief priests and the teachers of the law in verses 4 to 6. Herod asks them where the Christ or Messiah was to be born, and they're able to tell him straight away in Bethlehem of Judea, as foretold by the prophet Micah 550 years ago. And yet the tragic thing is, as far as we know, none of these religious leaders actually then went to Bethlehem to inquire further 
themselves. They gave the right answer to Herod, but they didn't go themselves. They had knowledge about the Christ, but it seems they weren't actually interested enough to go and meet him. And I think therein lies another warning for us from these insiders. We can, we can grow up in a Christian culture. We can go to church and Sunday school and get a theology degree, maybe. We can have knowledge about God. But do we actually want to know him personally? It's the consistent judgment of God against his, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When he, he says to them through prophets like Isaiah, this people honours me with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from me. Now Christ promises later in Matthew's Gospel that those who seek him will find him. So here's a question for all of us. Will you seek him this year? Now it might be that you've got lots of unanswered questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Well please do bring those questions to me or, or, or to Claire. We'd be delighted to talk further um, through those questions with you. And I, we often run courses that are specifically designed to examine the evidence for the Christian faith and the claims of Jesus Christ. So please do do that. Please don't effectively stay in Jerusalem with knowledge about Christ, but, but follow, those ma- follow those magi to Bethlehem and come to know him personally. Which brings us to our second group, these outsiders. So our second point is he's worshipped by outsiders, verses 9 to 12. Having got the information they needed in verse 9, the Magi then travelled to Jerusalem, which is about five miles, sorry, to Bethlehem, about five, five miles south of Jerusalem. And this star that they've seen before reappears, although they probably have to do a bit of asking around to actually get to the right house when they get there. And what happens next is so striking when they arrive. They fell down and worshipped him. And the, the, the Greek word here for uh, worship is really strong. It's proskuneo, which is literally to kiss towards. It's really, really strong. It, it's such a contrast with the hostility of Herod and the, the indifference of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And in, in order to really get the shock of this, um, we need to understand um, the, the context of what, how magi are portrayed generally in the Bible in the Old Testament. And they're always seen in a negative light whenever they crop up in the Old Testament scriptures because they're, they're, they're pagan uh, and they're dedicated to the business of interpreting the ways of pagan gods to their peoples in opposition to the God of Israel. And yet, it's, it's exactly these pagan astrologer philosophers who recognise the special king who's been born, and they come and worship him. It's such a powerful statement, I think, that Christ came as saviour for the whole world. Not just a particular people in a particular geographic place at a particular time in history, but all people, everywhere, at all time. And that's why we can be here. We're here 2,000 years later because the, the wonderful mercy and goodness of Christ is for us too. So being a Christian is not about being a religious insider where you have to know the right people, do the right religious things, know the right religious things to say. 
being a Christian is simply this, is to worship Jesus Christ as my King and as my Saviour. And what a blessed relief that is. Because, let's face it, even you know, beyond our, our religious life, so, so much of life we, we spend trying to become insiders often. Not just in explicitly religious ways, but in, in our work, in our politics, in our friendships, in order to find success and acceptance. But the Christian gospel turns all of this completely upside down. It says that God accepts us not, not because of what we've done as insiders, but actually he accepts, us, he accepts us as natural outsiders because of what God has done for us in Christ. Christianity keeps turning out to be the exact opposite of actually what we think it's about and what we expect. It's the opposite of religion. The insiders turn out to be outsiders, and the outsiders actually turn out to be insiders in the end. I think there's a challenge to us at the end as well from the, from the Magi's worship. Because we know so much more than these, these Magi did about Christ now, 2,000 years later. All they had to go on was this sort of unusual star and some prophecies from the Hebrew Scriptures about a king being born in Judea. Whereas we know the whole story. We know that this, this child Jesus grew up to have an extraordinary public teaching ministry that formed the foundation of Western civilization. We know that he did extraordinary things, raising the dead, feeding vast numbers of people, walking on water, the things that only God can do. We know that the heart of his teaching, that he came to give his life as a ransom for the sins of many. And we, and we know that he died on a Roman cross and three days later rose to give the proof that those sins are paid for. So we've got, we've got so many more reasons to worship than these original magi did. So will we, will we do that in 2022? Let's not stay in metaphorical Jerusalem in hostile or, or indifferent rejection of Jesus, like the insiders do. But let, let's, let's travel to Bethlehem with the outsiders and fall down in worship of the one who was born king, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. So why don't I pray now that we, God, we might have God's help to do that in 2022. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we simply pray that uh, in 2022 you would give us eyes to see and humble, grateful hearts to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and as our King. In his name we pray. Amen.